Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. This week we talked to uh, a good friend of mine, Steve Hines, who's a dairy farmer um, up in Fokamaru, which is uh, just near Magakino, north of Taupo. And Steve and his wife Donna own a successful 700 cow dairy farm. Um, Steve, I got him on the show because Steve's been on a number of my farming panels over the years. He's, I reckon, been one of the strongest contributors. He really thinks about what he what he says before he says it like most farmers do and i thought it'd be really good for us to have a a true blue farmer on the show talking straight and direct about how they experience rural sales teams the things that they're doing right the things that they're doing wrong um steve's also got a sales background himself he started off in his younger years at fletcher steel He's been working, he works, he's worked with Fonterra Shareholder Council and as a milk supply manager, quarter Memphis. So he's he's got the sales experience, he's also got the farming experience. And so he speaks with a lot of authority and credibility. And uh, so I, I thought it made a lot of sense to get Steve on the show. So we all cover a whole bunch of stuff, but um, get your pen and pen ready as always. Learn, listen. Uh, I think this one's invaluable for a lot of different reasons, and I always try really, really hard to get the right guest on the show. But because because he's a true blue farmer, you'll hear from him firsthand stories of success, stories of good sales experiences, stories of really bad sales experiences, and what you can learn. And he drops a ton of gold if you hang for the for the hang for the show and listen to what he's got to say. So I hope you really learn something from this one and you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, team, it's my absolute pleasure to have uh, a fellow by the name of Steve Hines on the show. Steve uh, is a farmer, dairy farmer, well-known to me and others uh, up in the Waikato. He'll explain his background and where he comes from shortly. But um, I got Steve on the show because we have a number of um, experts and thought leaders and coaches and people on, on the show that you might have heard of. And Sometimes we miss the farmer's voice, and I've been very, very grateful to have Steve on a number of farming panels that I facilitate uh, with Ag First, and uh, Steve is well known and well respected around the block. So, Steve, welcome to the uh, welcome to the Rural Sales Show. You made it. Yeah, thanks, Sinjin. Um, yeah, looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. No, great to have you here. So, Steve, why don't you start uh, to unpack for the listeners? Tell us a little bit about yourself where you came from, your background, where you're farming today and, and how you got there. And uh, we'll, then we'll go from there, right? Yeah, certainly. Um, trying to keep a, a long story short, I suppose. Um, born and bred on a, a dairy farm in um, the Waikato. Um, though as a young fellow, I thought farming was a mugs game. Um, Dad was in an, up in the dark, didn't get home from milking the cows until it was dark. Uh, often it was quite wet or the summer was dry and... I just sat there thinking, gee, who wants to be in this industry? So I finished my schooling and was fortunate to get a management cadetship with Fletcher Steel um, and went into the, the urban sector and really enjoyed that. Um, so the cadetship put me through all parts of the business from sort of admin 
um, oh, started my first six months just lugging bits of steel, actually, in the steel warehouse, um, and finished up on the sales side of things, um, dealing with customers. And that, that was the part of the um, Fletcher Steel that I um, got permanently employed into and um, really enjoyed my time there. Though I then did get to the stage where I thought, gee, actually to be successful in the urban workforce, you've, you've actually got to work just as hard as, as a farmer. Um, and so then it was a matter, I was recently married, it was then a matter of deciding, well, do I stay um, in this role or do I go back to the land? Um, what Donna and I did know is that we wanted to be business owners for ourselves. And dairy farming had a really good um, pathway of starting at the lower rungs, working your way up through share milking, um, building capital um, as you got given more and more responsibility on farms to ultimately purchase our own farm. So we did that in 2002, having started our dairy farming career in 1994, um, worked our way through the ranks, owned our, purchased our own farm in 2002 and are um, still farm owners, though on a different property now. So, Steve, that's awesome. So tell, we'll unpack that a little bit more. So tell me, give me a rundown, give me the stats. What are you farming now? What's your system, cows? What is it? Is it, is, is it the Steve Hines system? <laughs> oh, I suppose if you want to put a um, some theory behind it, it's what Dairy New Zealand calls System 2 to System 3. So lower stocking rate, limited amount of purchased in feed, um, looking to drive most of our profit from pasture, which we grow from the land we own. It's um, 270 effective hectares, uh, milking 740 cows. Um, And two years ago, we added to that a a dry stock lease property um, to rear our own young stock, um, Mm because that was a area that we could see um, becoming risky. Um, It was getting harder and harder to find good quality grazing. So we were fortunate to pick up a lease block and are now self-contained. Awesome, awesome, Steve. So let's um let's travel back in time a wee bit because um, you know the, this uh, podcast sort of you know rural sales managers, rural sales teams, business owners, the sort of subject of sales. We kind of stay in our lane on sales. We sometimes we touch on marketing. You and I have hung out over the years and swapped a few ideas and theories. Um, Tell me, what did you learn at Fletcher Steel with your on the sales side of things? What did they teach you back in the day? What, what were the what was the sort of program and the structure? What do you, what do you remember? Um, probably the first thing that that stuck with me, Sinjin, was the concept we were calling it TQM at Fletcher Steel, Total Quality Management. So that was my first um, higher level learning, I suppose of continually reviewing um, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, and um, how do you feel about that last result? Let's go back around the circle and and see if we can do things differently for an even better outcome. And then my second good learning, once I'd been permanently employed on that sales side of the business, uh, was going to a residential David Foreman course um, Mm. up in Auckland and just learning the theory of sales. Mm. Um, what I recall from that seminar is there was theory which was enlightening in that it it actually put some structure around what was naturally happening due to my my personality. Yeah. 
um, and and what I was bringing to my role prior to the 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 theory of sales learning, and that was you know um, understanding my clients, um, looking to meet their needs, um, and and basically providing very good service um, or or even better service than than the alternative they had for their steel needs. Yeah. So tell us, um, I had Richard Petrie on the show a couple of episodes ago, All Blacks Cricketer, and he used to sell photocopiers in London, which is a hell of a sort of university of sales. I called it the school of hard knocks, and they, they, they really have some systems. When you were learning that, tell us about some of the the biggest challenges you faced in sales at that time as a young as a, as a young fella starting out. Can you remember any kind of specific things that? Yeah, I, I can. Um, it's perhaps one of naivety, mm. and I don't know whether that was an advantage or a disadvantage. Now, I was. I think 21 when I was thrown in the deep end um, with a car and a call log and said, hey, go and, go and meet these people's needs. Um, I didn't exactly make it up as I went. I, I mean, we <laughs> had a sales manager in behind us and I understood how the business business went. But there were, there were certainly some lessons I learnt um, which I didn't fully understand until I matured a little bit later in, in life, um, as in like 25, 26. Yeah, that's usually uh, when the old prefrontal cortex starts to... You know, <laughs> probably. That's why the insurance companies, um, the premium yeah. is pretty high till young men are 25, yeah? So on one hand, I, I really thank Fletcher Steele for being prepared to put a 21-year-old in that mm. position. Mm. Um, <laughs> bit of a side story, it was never actually the intention of my cadetship to go into um, outside sales at that stage. I was, I was to be a telephone um, customer service rep for two to three years. However, one of the reps um, lost their licence drink driving and so they sort of threw me the car keys, I suppose. Yeah. Um, the lessons that I reflect on that I didn't fully understand, I suppose, due to naivety at the time, was just the oh, just those finer points of, of um, reading between the lines or reading people's body languages. And I always try to be a pretty happy, happy-go-lucky chat. And so I generally wander into a workshop and, and um, I remember this day, um, it was a owner-operator of the business and Walston... Um, G'day, George, how are you? It's a great day, isn't it? And he absolutely ripped into me <laughs> and he said, it's not a good day. I don't want to see you get out of here as quick as you can sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that really set me back because I just, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm not naturally one to like conflict. I've, I've learned yeah. to deal in conflict um, mm-hmm. since. Um, it turned out later that the chap was under quite a bit of financial difficulty. Mm. And and I just happened to, I suppose, wear his his stress. Mm. Um, I often think back, gee, if I just had older eyes on that situation, mm. a bit more um, um, street smarts from from experience, would I actually a have um, greeted that client better? Yeah. 
And would I actually not necessarily, I would, you know, I was selling steel. I wasn't able to meet his financial or address his financial concerns, but could we have just had a more of a um, empathetic discussion as yeah. opposed to me um, really stirring him up and probably making his bad day even worse? Yeah. It's funny. Some of those episodes stick out. Um, uh, I remember it's because obviously it's field days season here, just as we're recording a show and, I'm your friend James Allen's involved in that. And I remember having to walk up and down the races and talking to different people because if I didn't, I wasn't going to feed my family and I had to come back with some leads. And I remember going on one stand and similarly like this guy's like, I don't want to talk to you. I've got no time to talk to you. I'm here to talk to customers. Get off my site. And it does it. And even for a confident fellow like me, it kind of I only put, my, put me on my stride for a few minutes because I didn't think about skinny kids again and off I go and talk to someone else. <laughs> but, you know, like you have to have – what I admire about salespeople, although they get a very bad rap because a lot of them don't do it very well because they haven't been properly trained, is it's it's a it's a fearless job. You you have to put yourself out there. You you aren't sitting back in an ivory tower, you know, pontificating and you know moving the chess pieces. You're out on the front line, getting the the B's and the F's and the you know all the rest of mm. it that come with farming and all the colloquial and you know we, we drop a few swear words on here sometimes sometimes not to emphasize points but talking as rural do like you've got a you do have to have a backbone in sales right you know and you you have to be able to believe in yourself and believe in your product and we call it the buoyancy belief right because if otherwise you you take that one not back and then you'd never go back again because you'd be so not back so how did how did you recover from that what did you do as a young man when when oh because obviously you're 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 self-reflection on it now and i love your I love the words, the choice of words, your older eyes. Like, what would you do again differently? Because obviously it's more nuanced like me. You know, I'm hmm. older as well now and I'd approach this. What, how did you recover from a situation, like a rejection like that? Because it's when I train my guys, it's very easy to take that rejection as a personal rejection. Hmm. Hmm. Look, look I think do? that's the key, engine is don't take it personally. Hmm. And I, I don't remember exactly as many years ago, obviously, um, I'm picking that when I got back to the office and I was debriefing with the sales manager and the branch manager, that they were more aware of this client's financial situation. And um, we were able to reconcile that what I experienced was not yeah. because of me. Mm. I just happened mm. to walk into the wrong situation at the mm. at the wrong time. Mm. Um Given that same situation now, look, I just, again, hey, I was 21. I might have only been, gee, three months into the job. You were fresh. You were fresh. You were green, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and it's a long time ago. So let's talk about another question I've got for you. I'm really interested in your answer on this. There's a very famous YouTube video of Jeff Bezos in Amazon, mm-hmm. and he's getting he's getting questioned or grilled by a, by a newsroom person or a journalist going, Jeff, you know, what's what's changing out there in the marketing world? And he said the, the better question to ask is what's not changing. So my question for you, Steve, is based on what you know and the learned fellow you are, full of the wisdom and the experience and the years that you've got, is what's not changing when it comes to sales? In your view, for the listeners here, as a true blue farmer who's been in this game for a long time, what's what's what are the fundamental things that have never changed in rural sales for you? Um, that potentially could change. 
Is that not not change? Yeah, they haven't changed, but do I view them as needing to change? Ah, well, answer it in any way you want. Like they could be fundamentals, it could be non-negotiables, and then maybe we can talk about things that do need to change. But what do you think of the fundamental foundational building blocks that makes a rural sales rep effective in your own farmer's eyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we'll answer that. Um, We'll we'll cover both of them. The, Mm. The thing that's not changed is I still see a lot of rural salespeople not giving the lady of the partnership, of the farming partnership, um, the due um, acknowledgement that she should. Mm. Um, Now, that will be for various reasons. Um, Could be the salesperson's own background, um, Mm. their age, stage, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, young people also are potentially coming up across that same negative mindset from the rural salesperson in that, oh, gee, you're young, um, you're not going to be worth my time to talk to. And I have a personal example, actually, in that my daughter is employed by an orchard management company, and the last field days pre-COVID, she would have been 23. She was given the role by the manager of, of orchards, um, yeah. to go and price up um, trailers for harvest and tractors to pull those trailers. I think they were looking for about four tractors and, and mm. four trailers. Mm. She walked onto the stand um, and Donna, my wife, was actually um, watching from a distance. Mm. And it was uh, her, Sydney and her friend whilst on, and you could see that the, the, the people manning the stand went, oh, what are these youngsters up to? Don't want to yeah. talk to them. Yeah. Didn't even show us the, the time of day. To Sydney's credit, she 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 went, introduced herself, and and as soon as the chap knew what she was after and that she actually knew what she was talking about, his ears pricked up. Mm. Though he'd actually already set the scene for how Sydney viewed that company. Yeah. And that she actually, yes, she got the information she wanted, but she goes away thinking, gee, do these people really want my business? You know, yeah. are they, are they truly valuing me? Mm. Um, and it's the same when I talk about um, how ladies are, are regarded if a rep turns up on a farm and, in their words, the man of the house is not around. Mm. They they perhaps don't give the same pitch to the lady because, for whatever reason, they, they don't see her as, as being worthy. Mm. And actually farming particularly is one of those businesses that it's so hard, it's so all-encompassing that it's normally only successful husband-wife partnerships, male-female, or partnerships, two people working together to make them successful. Mm. (laughs) And often, for some of them, it is actually the, the, the lady of the house, for want of a better term, who's in the background, though it's actually her making all the decisions. Yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. I yeah. mean, we had um, we had Melissa Clark Reynolds on, who you might know, and then Chanel O'Sullivan, who runs Farming Mums. It's a Facebook group of about sixteen thousand farming wives and mums, young mums, yeah. and you're hundred percent. You know, like you you ignore, and we've talked about this a lot. Is you ignore the 
lady and the rural women and the influence that they have as a CEO, CEO or CFO of that rural household. In your case, with Donna and you, you're 50-50 equity partners in a significant farming business, and you're going to make decisions as business partners together. And it's and I think the words you it's all encompassing, right? So mm. it would make sense that any significant capital expenditure decision you might make you're going to make it in consultation with donna right because mm. you're in you're in the bowl together and, and it's it's that sort of myopia or that short-sightedness of rural reps and unfortunately it flex usually the older ones yeah yeah but also yeah. like you say it can go down the generations down to sydney when she's going on site trying to find four tracks and four tracks which is not an ins- insignificant purchase that someone would probably you know bite their left arm off to have a crack but that sort of judgment or bias it's it's a real it's kind of disappointing it's still around in 2022 yeah absolutely um i'm sure it can be be learned it's it's just a matter of if you if you um check yourself as to gee how how am i feeling how am i responding at that initial meeting of someone for the first time um First impressions are lasting impressions, and, yes. and it can go so far to ensuring your success or not for future business with this person. Yeah. And particularly in rural sales, it's not just a one-off sale. It's it's not, hey, knock on the door, here's the latest and greatest, thanks for buying, you won't see me again. Um, rural sales, in my mind, is about building a long-term partnership. Because rural servicing businesses provide such a sound foundation to successful farming businesses, um, be it your electrician, be it your mechanic, be it the, the farm machinery salesperson, um, a good um, representative of that whatever industry is providing huge value into your business because what will happen is, is as a farmer gains confidence in their rural sales professional, they'll tend to actually give them business without questioning the price. Um, They will perhaps um, ask them to do something that might be out of the ordinary. However, there's been such a uh, relationship based on win-win um, that the salesperson knows, well, actually, it's a little bit out of my criteria here, but, hey, I'll do it because I know Bob will support me in other areas. Mm. So I'm not, try- I'm not trying to say that, hey, build that relationship and the farmer will never um, check price and they will, they or he or she will, will have you doing all of the stuff that's outside of your category. It's just um, if you've built a good foundation, um, it will determine your rural sales success for yeah. so much longer into the future. It's great advice and great words there, listeners. So, Steve, I was really interested in what you said there. So my question is, how do rural reps gain that confidence? How do they build that confidence with you? Um, but the first one is, is to have absolutely no bias or no prejudgment on, on the situation you're going into. Now, a good salesperson will have done their background checks, their due diligence. They might have identified um, Donna and myself as as a business that that they want to um, do business with. 
um, those still go, still go in with with open eyes and open ears and um, we were fortunate in that um, national bank um, as clients they put Don and I on the um, Franklin Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, awesome. And I I always um, come back to one of those habits of Covey's, which was seek first to understand before being so understood. So and good. it's paid even even in many facets of life, not just sales. Um, it plays pays huge dividends to to follow that mantra as such yeah. that habit. So this rural salesperson, having come onto our farm. A good one will know a bit about us, though. Hey, just still ask the questions, even though you think you know the answers. Mm. For whatever mm. reason, there may be more substance to to what your due diligence is throwing up, mm. and you're just mm. listening out for, um, I suppose, keys where um, your services that you've come offering will be able to to assist. I I listened to your podcast with James Kemp, yeah, and I really loved how he spoke about um, diagnosing the pain. The present so, pain. Yeah, the present pain and, and, present and then offering the solution. Point to it. So good, Steve. Listeners, this is how bloody good Steve is. Like <laughs> he's, he's been on a couple of my farmer panels and this is the pro he is and he thinks I'm sort of probably peeing in his pocket. But like while he's taking a swig of his tea there is – I'm not sure if it's tea. It's probably something else. It's, no, no, it's coffee. It's, it's, no, it's coffee. It's, we're about half past six at night. But – with James, who coaches me amongst others, he I'm really interested how you pick that up because he said, and I think it was one of the standout things, he said, you have to be able to point to it and point to the present pain so you can describe it in such good detail that it makes absolute sense with that customer, the present pain. So that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm tap-tipping you, Steve. You've done your bloody homework again and listen to me. <laughs> Matt, I'm talking to people. Now, I've got another question. Sorry, you go. Well, you I was just going to say um, my whole focus, even, even as I um, developed further at Fletcher Steel, um, I've had other relationship roles within farming um, outside of our own farm. You know, my focus is, is to, to run my um, relationships on providing solutions. Mm. Um at the end of the day, two people would be doing business because one person needs something and the other person can provide it. Now, James's um, comment resonated in that person who needs something may not actually know why they need it. They, they just have a feeling or, or they just know that the results they're getting are not giving them the dividends they want. Yeah. So that well-qualified capable rural salesperson, professional, is able to, to, as you say, to point, to to put in good context why the client is feeling the pain they're feeling. Yeah. So that's the diagnosis piece. And then, yeah. hey, um, here's some potential solutions we, we have. Um, I shared a story with you at that workshop that I have yeah. two – um, sales professionals that stand out in my rural life because of the approach they took. And both mm. both of them were, hey, Steve, here's what we're about. We actually don't mind if you don't purchase from us as long as you understand why you're not going to purchase from us and, you, and you're definitely compared apples for apples and you're not being, say, blindsided <laughs> by another representative who's using smoke and mirrors. Yeah, and 
And that, that resonated from me because it actually showed that they had confidence in their abilities, mm. that, that actually they were happy for me to walk away. Or Sorry, mm. in verbalising they were happy for me to walk away, mm. it actually made me think, oh, gee, if, if they are happy to have that confidence, they're obviously also very confident in, in what they're telling me and, and showing me. Mm. I like, so, I like just, just for the, I just want to pick that up because I think that is a very, I love that story you shared. I'm really glad you shared it here as well because it's very similar is we've talked about diagnosis and discovery and asking good questions, get a good answers and the whole COVID, you know, seek first to understand before being understood. Like we actually burn it into our students that curiosity is going to open a lot more doors in the buyer's brain than criticism. And so there's another D that is very, very important. So we talk about the diagnosis and we talk about the discovery through the, for the quality of your questions that determine the quality of your answers, which then underpin the quality of that conversation where that customer feels safe. The third D is detachment. Not So your guy that you're talking about, your guy or girl that you're talking about there, they were actually kind of detached and, as you said, not had a prejudgment or bias to where that you were ready to buy. Because, interestingly, when we do all our research, and it's you can Google this, there's a buyer pyramid. If you were to drive down 100 driveways, farmers' driveways, only 3% or three of those driveways of farmers would be ready to buy whatever you had to sell to them there and then. You'd hear this only three times. Oh, you've caught me at a good time. This is a good time. That's what success sounds like. Yep. Now, that's a, that's a numbers game. But where I want to get to of our conversation is sales is about two things. It's about maths, numbers, and it's also about psychology, which is brains. And the first brain is yourself, and you've got to master your own brain, and then you've got to master the brain of your prospects. So on that, Steve, what I like about that story there is they've detached themselves from the outcome, which probably then made you feel safer as a buyer, or am I getting that wrong? No, ab- ab- absolutely, as I reflect on it. Um, you know, absolutely there is no conveyance of a high-pressure salesperson from one that's telling you they're happy for you to walk away. Mm. Um, and, and on that point, probably the quickest way to turn a farmer off because um, they have the, the best in, inbuilt bullshit radar there is around okay. is um, to be high-pressure. Yeah. Um, yes, there'll be time for subtle pressure, though as soon as you come in all guns blazing, um, yeah, you'll be turning that, that far And that's, that's, that's really key for the listeners that are learning or learning their chops, learning their ropes, and we'll get into some of Steve's advice for you in a minute. High-pressure selling freshens your buyer and they don't feel safe. When someone doesn't feel safe, they won't buy. So, again, listeners, Get your pad and paper and write this stuff down in terms of what Steve's saying straight from a farmer's mouth, signaling buying safety, um, detaching yourself from the outcome and starting off simply like saying, hey, Steve, look, I'm not even sure what we've got will fit your farm system, but do you mind if I ask a few questions to see if it might? Is it yeah. is that okay? Mm. That is more likely for you and your peers to get a better response. And Steve, I've got something to sell you. Do you want to buy it? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, and I really need you to buy it because I've got I've got some sales manager briefing down and I've got to make target because they're so consumed with themselves that they forget to serve the best interests of the farmer 
And as you know, a long-term relationship, sustainable relationship where you feel safe and you've got that empathy and that trust, which is built over a period of time and repeated experiences, which are positive and conversations and behavior and going the extra mile. You know, that for, I can't remember, maybe you helped me out that, that um, comment is, you know, always go the extra mile. It's less busy, you know, so like, you yeah, know, going I, that step further. Yeah, I, I, I haven't um, heard that exact saying. I, I've got the picture, and and if I could put a, a rural um, slant on this, or, or if I think about my own staff, we had some very green staff um, come to us from the Philippines, mm. and they knew absolutely nothing, and in particular about putting up fence reels and standards, temporary electric fence. Mm. So my farm manager at the time was going, oh, gee, it's it's easier if I just do it myself. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I suppose in this analogy, you know, that could be like this, the, the high-pressure salesperson who says, gee, I've just got to meet target. Oh, I'm not worried about future business. I've, I've just got to get this now. Yeah, today. Yeah, and, and, I said, and I said to my manager at the time, please take the time to teach these people because you physically haven't got the, ability, um, the, the time in your day to do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. So let's invest an hour, two hours now. Um, for them to be better in the future. And, um, again, that's that's the, the sales rep we're talk, talking about who, who's perhaps trying to get away from this high-pressure um, mindset is actually, hey, you may walk out of here without a sale, um, which is not how you're feeling, though having spent the time to cultivate the relationship, in the course of the next six months, it could end up being two or three times the value of sales than you would have got from the high pressure situation. 100%. 100%. It's like I say to everyone, you don't get married on the first date. <laughs> and uh, and the other thing you can kind of stretch, this is where my brain starts to wake up a wee bit here, but you could stretch that metaphor to your Fletcher Steel days and sales managers that you, you mustn't create a, a dependency. You've got to teach your reps to do what you can do. And I see time because I don't just train sales teams, I train sales managers. And the first thing I is to say, you are not a manager, you are a coach. And you've got to coach and get self-awareness, and you get this because you, you're a big thinker, is like you've got to ask them, why do you think that's happening or what do you think is going on, as opposed to dictating the answer. So with your farm manager, back to that example, and your Filipinos workers, putting together that you know temporary electric fence and the standards and the reels, um, if he goes, oh, look, just forget it, I'll do it, he's creating a dependency, a bottleneck, and then your business or any business isn't able to grow and prosper because you can't scale. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the point I'm making there is that it can't be a rescue event. You've got to, like, invest in your people. So maybe we're leading the conversation there around sales leadership and then the the leadership side, Steve, is, like, where do you feel – sales reps need greater leadership where do you see the gaps where do you see the where do you see the deficiencies um even on the frontier stuff because obviously you're on the frontier yeah, 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 you, you yeah. know this stuff but in my mind Sinjin, it's it's and it's not just for sales it's it's just about developing an, a natural empathy with people and um and i suppose Having the knowledge, coming back to sales per se, having the knowledge and the ability to make a decision, make a call, 
for the client that's that's in front of you right then and there because there could be a very good reason why there's urgency to get mm. an agreement on a point 100%. without having to um, refer back to the sales manager or the, or the branch manager. Um, mm. And I say that for the point you made is, is that at the end of the day, if a salesperson is just out there um, capturing leads and has to go back to HQ or whatever for final sign-off if we're going to do anything here, A, it's not as satisfying for the for the rep themselves out at the coalface. Mm. And, mm. and you're right, it's creating a bottleneck and um, um, slowing things up back at HQ. Um, yeah. Now, look, there'll be times when a, a sales manager feels they have to have a little bit more control on their rep for whatever reason. Mm. Though that would have to be the um, um, the the small part rather than the main for you, for your sales team. Yeah. I've read a great book called um, "Turn the Ship Around." By... Oh, I just, I've, I've read it myself. <laughs> what did yeah. you think of it? I, I loved it. So, um, Lieutenant um, Mark Quay, his, his um, Christian name escapes me. Did he inherit the submarine, like a really bad submarine? Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that, that's the one. And well, so, what... so good. With, sorry, I just before we'll put that in the show notes because it's a really the fact because Steve, you, I, I promise, listeners, we have not predicated or set this up. But one of my next questions, Steve, would have been, "What books have you been reading, Steve?" And he's already <laughs> asking the bloody question. So tell well, us about turn the chip around. What were your what were your takeouts from that? Well, book? well, why this stands out is 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 a you, you've probably gathered I I regard Covey highly. And um, there's a great mm. um, photo of Covey on the submarine with um, Lieutenant um, Mark Way. And um, apparently Covey actually wrote the eighth habit based on what he saw on the submarine. And long story short, um, David's focus was to go from a command leadership style to an intent-based leadership. And I fully identify with it because... You know, the military historically and potentially even now is based off um, the people in the trenches being told what to do, no questions, let's just do it um, until the next order comes down. But if you think about it, in the heat of battle, in the heat of sales, if, if the person in the trenches has got to go back up the chain for authority, for information, that's when when the opposite the opposing army force opposition salesperson has has room to just steamroll right over we, top we, of you. We see it on a rugby field too, right? Yeah. It wasn't so long yeah. ago. The so where so where David Marquay was got his submarine to was actually if I know you've got the knowledge, you know the why of what we're doing, just come and tell me that that you've intent you intend to do such and such, and I'll go. Yes, no, hey, have you thought about this? Just for a little bit of guidance. And then at the top rung of the ladder, when things are really rocking, you come back and you say, I did such and such. Here's the result. Here's why I did it. Now, there could still be mistakes at that, um, at that level, though back to our time taken to teach how to put up an electric fence. If the... Um, person has been given the room to have that authority to have total self-intent in their decisions, knowing they've got the support of HQ behind, your wins will far outnumber your your potential negative losses, et cetera, et cetera. So good because I it's funny you reminded me because I hadn't 
I've read that book quite a while ago and it's, there's a bookshelf behind me here in the office, but that one's at home. And that eighth um, habit for listeners um, is finding your voice and inspiring others to find theirs. Now, what Steve's done there, and again, a real gift is around the, I intend to, you know, pull mm. the sub up to 200 metres below water and he's just checking in. And it's not like he's not command and control he's enabling and empowering his team. And he literally turned that ship around from being, what was it? Was it the Santa Fe? I think it yeah, was the, yeah, so it was called the Santa Fe. Fe. Basically um, David and his contemporaries had spent one year at military college learning about the submarine that they were going to be um, given captaincy of with two weeks to go um, to his commissioning on the sub that he'd been learning about for a year. Um, the commanding officer said, no, you're going to the Santa Fe. Um, <laughs> and it was the one boat that had zero re-enlistment of its men um, and performing poorly. And I think um, David took it to number one in the fleet yeah, in the course did. of about a year. Yeah. And, and the story I love is he's um, on the bridge They're just doing different um, drills, getting ready for deployment because these are nuclear submarines and they, they were leaving base for sort of six months underwater, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. And so he thought, he'd, I want to check the metal of, of my crew. And so he ordered a, um, a rapid dive and things were going too easy. Um, oh, I'm sorry, and they turned off the reactor and they were on battery power. Things were going too easy and he wanted to amp up the pressure. And so he said to his 2IC, please order... Um, full steam ahead, or half steam ahead, sorry. And um, so his 2IC calls half steam ahead and the midshipman on the dash didn't move. So David made the command again. The 2IC relayed the command. The um, seaman didn't move. And David walked up to him and he said, "Um, son, did you hear my command? Yes, I did. Why did you not react? Um, sir, on this boat, we do not have half steam ahead. Oh, <laughs> so then he goes back to his 2IC and says, well, did you know that? And he said, well, yes, I did, sir. So why did you order it? You told me to. So that yeah. was that pushed down and, and, and everyone was too scared to um, to hold the leader as such to account. So, so as soon as David got that culture rocking of um, – hey, we're here for top flight results, we'll back you if you make a mistake, we'll celebrate wins when it happens. Um, yeah, it was just win-win for everybody and um, life was so much easier in commanding the ship. Such a good story. It reminds me of um, there's a book I'm looking for which may or may not be here. It's called The Checklist Manifesto and it's by a guy called Atwal. can't remember his surname, but he's an English fella. He's now employed by the World Health Organization, and he basically talked about nurses were seeing surgeons and doctors making horrendous mistakes, huge, huge problems, being sued, lots of malpractice, and the nurses weren't allowed to speak up because they weren't allowed to challenge the surgeon because they had that kind of God Almighty complex of, I know everything. And I was reading another book recently, I can't remember which one it was, but like the same thing happens with the co-pilot and the flight engineer with the captain and you know the co the co-pilot the fi- uh, financial engineers the, the financial the flight engineers going hey 
we need to keep an eye on the altitude and we're running out of fuel. And the captain's just ignoring him and then he just can't say anything. And this is the problem that leads to a lack of performance, right? So if you, what, I think what we're doing in a long way about between me and Steve is saying, if you don't invest in enriching and empowering and enabling your front sales team, you lose the opportunity because like you say, you might say, hey, look, Sinjin, I, I like you. You're a good bloke. You've turned up to my driveway a few times. You've met me. You've met Donna. You've took the time to know my farming system. I'm not really ready to buy, but if you could do this, this could probably get this over the line and then, you know, we'll look after each other. Now, if they then got to scurry away and go and speak back to base, but I mean, it's a two-way street, right? Because I know sales managers pull their heads out and you know in a leadership position that people, I can sell you, I can sell you a dollar for 80 cents any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Easy to do because we can all drop our trousers and drop a pants at the end of the month to make quota. But yeah. again, that empowerment, that enablement. But look, Steve, just to sort of respect your time, as we sort of finish up here, I've, I always ask all my guests on this show a couple of questions. So um, my question for you is, if you were a younger rural sales rep like you in their 20s that was listening to this, or maybe you're even, it's not the age, it's just the stage in terms of you're new to sales and you might have not done sales before and you've been thrown because about 46, 47% of people are accidental salespeople. Okay. They get thrown into the job. It's a default security. That's, what, this, that's yeah. what the research tells us. What would your advice be to them for today as a farmer, as a fairly open-minded fella with two feet firmly on the ground who's, who will give someone a go? What would, you, what would your advice be to them listening to here? What would you say to them? Um, first and foremost, um, rock up there with confidence, mm. even if you're not feeling it. Um, portray as much confidence as you can because the, um, the body language will um, be picked up by the farmer. Um, and then move into that understanding who, who is this farmer and what um, what potential pains, if we use James's uh, point, are they feeling at the yeah. moment? Mm. Um, perhaps spend some time understanding why the farmer might think they're feeling that that pain. Mm. Um, ne- never. Sh- what am I trying to say? Um, be it farmer, be it be it any potential client that is telling you a, a problem. Whilst it might be a problem to them, deep down in the background, there'll be something that they think is potentially causing it. Yeah. So, again, it's coming back to that seek first to understand before being understood. Do take mm. the time to help explore, help that client explore um, mm. what it could be that's causing their pain. Yeah. Even if they're totally misguided, it, it will help you understand how they've arrived at the position they're at. Um. And then um, it's always hard to, to sort of scope these things without a real-life example in front of you. Um, I suppose the next stage is about um, don't, don't assume that, that that farmer doesn't know anything. It goes a little bit to what we just said about deep mm. down they will have an idea of something that could be mm. causing the pain even if it's not full. Mm. Yeah, so don't, don't, don't make moves that infers that they don't know Things and and um, yeah and that. Um, what's next? Um, well, look at, at that stage. The the sales 
person will then know, hey, um, do we keep working towards trying to get a close on, on some deal here or actually, hey, I, I just sense that the farmer needs a bit of time to, to think, to, to um, ruminate as such on what I've just proposed to them and just agree a time to, to perhaps connect back up further down the track in whatever form that might might take. Um, probably one thing I should have said right at the outset, never go up a driveway without an appointment. 100%. Um, you know, farmers are outdoors. You, you might see them out in the paddock. Um, doesn't mean that they're not busy and, and they're happy to, to give you 10 or 15 minutes. Um, if you've been struggling to catch them, by all means, perhaps stop and say, hey, Joe, look, I've been trying to catch up with you. Could we set a time? Um, that's all right, but don't launch straight into your, your sales. Because, again, you want that potential client to be in a good mindset. And if you've um, doorstopped them as such, um, they're not going to be in the zone to be listening 100% to you anyway. 100%. I think that is absolutely gold. It's something, it's a real basic one, but like, as you say, it's just simple, like you're not selling to them then, you're respecting their time. And again, you're signaling safe and say, Steve, look, um, I've actually, you know, it's beautifully what you just said there. Like, I've, I've been trying to catch up with you, mate. I know I've missed you. I know you've got a lot on your plate. Is there a time that I could come talk to you? It's going to take 10 minutes. I just want to show you what we're doing with a similar system to yours down the road. And then maybe that's something you might want to look at as well. So can I come and see you next Thursday? I'll be coming past the gate about 11 o'clock. Would that work? And they go, yeah, no, and everything. So really, really good listeners on that. The other thing just to break down before we finish on this with Steve is he's, he's, he's emphasized two things there I think are very, very important. Three things, actually, because we love the power of three on this show because that's how we remember <laughs> things, right? Power of three. Politicians do this all the time, not on politicians. <laughs> the first thing is he's told you you've got to get the farmer to paint their pain. Don't tell them the pain that they're suffering. Get them so sell like a doctor. You do not go to the doctors and go, the doctor goes, oh, I bet your head's absolutely split. You've got a splitting headache, have you, Sinjin? No, they don't do that. They, they only prescribe once they've diagnosed. So sell like a doctor. So that was the first thing that Steve was saying to you. The second one is take the time. Take the time using a rural metaphor to cultivate the relationship and to convey a sincerity of intent by the quality of your questions and back to what Steve's talking with Kobe, seek first to understand before being understood. Don't talk about you, talk about them, what's going on in their world, what's happening, why do we think that's happening, how come, could you tell me more, could you help me understand, Steve, a bit more around why you're not getting strike on that print of ryegrass or that brew or that mix that you're doing, so that's everything. And the third thing that Steve's done here, and it was to our earlier one, is about detaching yourself from the outcome of the sale. Most almost, and I think, Steve, you'd probably agree with me, most sales reps are self-serving. They, they, I know that's a huge generalization, but the majority of them are not being trained to detach themselves from the outcome, and they assume the sale. And there's nothing more threatening, I think, to anyone, any customer, client, or farmer, than a rep that doorstops you and thinks that they've got the sale and assume the sale. How does that feel for you when someone thinks they've got the sale, Steve? <laughs> should, should I tell that other wee story uh, that I relayed at the workshop? Um, you can tell me what it goes. I, 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 always, I always remember um, at the David Foreman course, they said the easiest person to sell to is another salesperson. Um, I'd also <laughs> like to suggest that sometimes the hardest person to sell to is another salesperson. 
And um, that comes back to when I had gone farming, I, I left Fletcher Steel. And I, what was it? It was my second year farming. I was, I was quite a junior. And I was just sitting outside the farm dairy this afternoon um, waiting for the boss actually to bring the cows up because he and I were going to milk together. And this car comes up the drive, obviously a rep, hadn't made an appointment, jumps out of the um, car full of uh, gusto and says, look, have I got the thing for you? I went, oh, have you? Oh, yeah, look, it's this liquid that'll have your cow shed shining, it'll be sparkling, it'll be nothing. Do you want me to show you? And I went, oh, yeah. (laughs) And I'm laughing internally because I'm thinking, oh, well, as a salesman, you've just missed one vital step. But that's all right. You you want to show me how to clean my walls. So (laughs) So he spent the next 20 minutes cleaning my walls. And, hey, they looked fantastic. And he said, "Um, they look good, eh? I went, yes. So he's going for the for the small closes, the, you know, the small yeah. yeses. Yeah. Um, yes, is yes. this the best thing you've seen? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, would you like to buy some? Uh, no. Oh, why not? Well, I said, when you jumped out of the car, you forgot to ask if I was the decision maker here and, and I don't have authority to spend money. So thanks for um, cleaning my walls, but I suggest Ooh, in your car job. and go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is an example where you get it right and wrong. Because he was so obsessed with serving his own needs, you know, we teach in our programs, you serve to sell. Yeah. So you serve the best interest of the farmer before you serve the best interest of your own. And that's how you play the long-term game. So, Steve, this has been a pleasure, mate. You've dropped lots of gold for the listeners here. Really appreciate you. Appreciate your time and your generosity sharing some of your views, some of your wisdom, some of your experience. Um, Steve, if people want to reach out to you, um, we can drop a, a website or an email on the on the show notes or what would you like to do? Yeah, look, just, just an email is fine. Um, Donnie um, at, uh, at outlook.co.nz. Um, awesome. Don't mind people touching base. Um, hey, I, um, I don't mind um, – giving my wisdom at different times as such because in the interactions I learn just as much from the person as um, they receive from me. So always an open book and and love um, seeing people who want to actually get better. So, yeah, my um, door's always open. Awesome, Steve. That's what we love about you, mate. You're always, um, you know, I've got to know you through James, which I'm very grateful for, and you've always, you've always been a very um, – a really strong contributor to to our panels and our farmer interviews, and uh, yeah, appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing sharing your knowledge and wisdom with the listeners. No problem. Thanks, Sinjin. Thanks, mate. Hey, you. Hope you enjoyed that episode and you learned lots from it. It takes a bit of work to get these wonderful human beings and guests onto the show who share their knowledge with you freely and generously. So, kind of makes sense for me to ask a tiny, tiny favor in return. And that is to rate, subscribe, or share this podcast whenever you get time or whenever you can with friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, or anyone in your network that you think might benefit from listening to it like you might have. The reason for my request here, guys, is simple, and it's because you and I can only elevate and, more importantly, improve the world's perception of rural sales reps and get you and them the results and respect all of you deserve when we get this podcast and its content out to a bigger and wider audience. And that's the reason I created this podcast. That's the reason I put all the energy, effort and time into it. So it would mean the world to me 
and I'd appreciate you doing that very much. As you know, I've got nothing to sell you here and I don't want to include any advertising that might affect your listening or learning experience. And, and I appreciate you investing your time with me and my guests on this show because I know you've got a ton of other options where you keep spending and investing your precious and valuable time. So the fact that you choose to spend it with me and my guests is something I'm very, very grateful for. So thank you for doing that and thank you for sharing this show with others.